Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Lord, thank you for the gift of this day, this chance to meet together. We ask that you'd speak to us through your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Do be seated. Warm welcome to you if you're visiting. If you are visiting, my name's Dave. Uh, we do have some visitors because it's a big day for Ezra. Where is that? Ezra and Natalie. We're going to be celebrating their baptism together. It's very exciting, so welcome. Uh, it's great to have you with us. It's great to have you with us also if um, you're checking us out for the first time. It's, uh, it's thrilled to have you. Um, you may have been surprised to hear um, Joy to the World as we came in this morning. Um, it's Epiphany is really a Sunday. We, it, it happened on Friday, but we moved it to a Sunday. Um, is really a moment of joy because um, it's, it's the Sunday, it's the feast day we mark taking the glory of Christmas to the world. And so in the church, traditionally, Epiphany is a season where we take everything we've learned at Christmas out with us. Um, and so, you know, Epiphany is a funny word, isn't it? And usually in our culture, you don't hear it as much, but it used to be, oh, I had an Epiphany. You know, it's, it's kind of, if it's in there, and, and, and it means to have a sudden understanding of why something is meaningful, where everything kind of clicks into place. It's an aha moment. And, um, and we would say uh, in the church that an epiphany, with a small e, not the big fe- feast of epiphany, but a, uh, an epiphany is when the Lord leads us to understand something more fully. Um, I spent uh, Monday to Friday at a, a church in Uptown. Uh, they start the year, um, the first week of every year with a conference. Uh, they call it the Presence Conference. And I was asked um, to come and lead them every day at noon in a, in a communion service similar to what we're going to have now. And uh, it was, for many of them, they'd never had communion in, in the way that we do it. And time and again, people would come up afterwards and say, that was so meaningful. I took so much away from that. 
And I said, great, our services are at nine on Sunday. It'd be great to see you. I didn't. That, I've, I've done, did that before, and it, you know, we increased by two or three, and that was great, but no, I'm kidding. Um, but sometimes we do things slightly differently. The Lord will use that or use things that happen to give us greater understanding of what's going on. And, uh, and so let's look, shall we, at our passage this morning, which is familiar to everyone, um, and just see if there's anything relevant for us today. And so if you have your bulletins, just look down at Matthew chapter 2. It's, on, it's right there on page 4. And uh, we see that there are some, some main characters here that it's just worth giving a bit of background before we dive in. The first is Herod. Who is Herod? Uh, you probably didn't want to go on vacation with Herod. Um, not that he'd ever be invited because he kind of trusted three people, really. He trusted me, myself, and I. And uh, he is a, a ruler who was appointed king of the Jews under the authority of Rome. He ruled firmly and at times ruthlessly and is accredited with murdering his own wife, murdering several of his sons and other relatives. So you can imagine when the invite comes from Herod to get an Airbnb in the hill country, probably going to miss that one. So Herod. All right, so all of a sudden we see that the, the veneer of, oh, how lovely is the Christmas story, is not there. Okay, so a dictator's in charge. All right? And then we have another group called the Magi, or the wise men they were referred to they were, they were priests, they were experts in mysteries from Persia and Babylon, and who devoted themselves to the study of sacred writings, the pursuit of wisdom and magic. Um, and just, you know, the, uh, the Mediterranean's always been a peaceful place, <laughs> never. Uh, so there's a great group of these foreign nationals coming to Herod. So this isn't really a spiritual quest. This is a diplomatic mission. Because they have read and they have studied and they understand because they have studied, they would have encountered Jews in Babylon from the exile. And so they're familiar with the ancient writings of the Jewish people and they know that something cosmic and epic is happening. And so one scholar suggests the reason it took him two years is that it takes a terribly long time to get a diplomatic mission together and get all the red tape cleared up. So there's a massive movement of leaders coming to Herod. And you can imagine how he would receive that, which we'll see in a moment. And then there's Jesus. Jesus is no longer in a manger. Jesus is two. Did Jesus go through the terrible twos? Did he go through the trying twos? Did he go through any other adjectives starting with T? We don't know. But he's two. Two-year-olds move. Two-year-olds are sometimes difficult to have around when you're entertaining guests. If you were to entertain a diplomatic trade mission, would you want a two-year-old there? Personally, I would not. But this is Jesus, and we don't have any of that information. So just to paint the picture for you, <clears throat> so after, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. What, verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
for we saw his star when it rose and came to worship him. We saw his star when it rose. So the wise men would, uh, I've already said, would have been familiar with the Old Testament prophecies through the interaction with Jews in Babylon. And the movement of a star suggests that they understand that this is not a natural phenomenon. This is not a comet, this is not a supernova, this is not the movement or conjunction of other planets aligning, but there's a recognition from these foreign dignitaries that something supernatural has led them to Herod. Now, what is it? Uh, There's a whole range of ideas. It could have been a guiding angel that appeared as a star or perhaps some specially created heavenly phenomenon that had the brightness of a star. All right, so, you know, we're in the realm of mystery here, um, but there we are. We have come to worship him. It's interesting. And the first interesting point about the wise men is that it wasn't convenient for them to worship Jesus. It involved however, however long it took. it took. It caused them to sacrifice their convenience. So it wasn't convenient. But they've come. The wise men, traveling likely with a large number of attendants and guards for the long journey, which would have taken several weeks. For example, if they were coming from Babylon on the main trade route, we're talking 800 miles. Averaging 20 miles per day, the trip would have taken about 40 days. All right? Sometimes it feels like it takes 40 days to get to downtown Dallas, but nothing compared to what they would have endured. And so this arrives to Herod, which is why they they come to Herod. And it's very interesting. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And when you have a type like Harold, some of you may have grown up with someone like Harold, like Herod in your life, minus the murdering of said family members. If the top person's in a bad mood, everyone's troubled. Have you ever had to come into the room and just see how are they today? And oh, if they're not in the right place, a best tiptoe may you know keep a soft footprint. There's no charging into Herod's presence when Herod is upset. The whole city is troubled. What is troubling? The arrival of this true king presents a threat to Herod, the great's throne, and to Israel's corrupt religious and political leadership in Jerusalem. The indictment begins not with Jesus, but with these magicians who have, who have read the prophetic literature of another religion and of another system of beliefs, and they believe that something incredible has happened, and they've taken great pain to come and worship him. Verse 4, so they told him, so verse 3, sorry, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, in verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so in verse 5, the priests and the scribes look it up, and they told him he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for whom shall... 
for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, verse 7, Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertains from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. It's interesting, why, what's the, does it matter when the star appeared? Maybe. Or maybe Herod's just saying, hey, I'm interested in these things too. Tell me, what, when exactly did you see this? Because I want to know. Um, it, it, some think it was a ruse just to, you know, convince the wise men that he was on their side. Uh, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After this, verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. What's interesting here is that Bethlehem is only six miles away from Jerusalem. 9.7 kilometers for those of you who run. Almost directly south. So why is it significant that the star went before them? It implies a very specific localized guidance from the traveling star which came to rest over the young Jesus' specific location. A very specific, very localized guidance that God was giving these wise men. It fascinated, isn't it? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What does that look like? Well, rejoice, okay, I understand what that is. Exceedingly, okay, so there's a sense of exuberance, and it's exuberance with great joy. So they have the joy, 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 joy down in their heart. And they haven't even met him yet. There's something there, isn't it? There's something there. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so, you know, it's important to, it does matter that the wise men didn't arrive at the time of Jesus' birth, but I understand that the concept of a two-year nativity pageant on Christmas Eve is problematic. And it's great to see the kids, and, you know, every child needs a role, so we throw in the wise, the wise guys on Christmas Eve. The two years, whether it was exactly two years or not, is important because it gives us a sense of timing that God was willing to allow to play out for his plan. It also gives us a sense of the level of preparation he's put into place for his son. So Jesus is living in a house. And they came to worship him. And it's doubtful that these quasi-pagan religious leaders understood Jesus' divine nature. But there's something about how they behave that their actions tell of an appropriate and wonderful foreshadowing of what the world will discover about who Jesus is. 
Someone said they're just informed feelers. So they knew all the evidence, and in the moment, they just felt what was right. I don't know if that's true. I've never been very good at the personality profiles, or I still think there are 11 numbers in the Enneagram. So, you know, this is where I'm coming from. I'm not saying it's rubbish. I'm just saying I don't understand it. And so they're given three gifts. They're given gold. The family, Mary and, and Jesus, are, they're given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the number of gifts really contribute to the tradition of why we think there are only three of them. But the actual number is unknown. And frankincense is resin used ceremonially for the incense permitted on the altar. Gives us an idea of what the ministry of Jesus will do. Make our presence known. Perform an incredible sacrifice for us on the altar. Myrrh used in incense and perfume, foreshadowing that the child being worshiped is born to die. What a contrast. One king known, uh, he built some great buildings, apparently, but known to be a ruthless murderer. The other, a two-year-old, that the heavens have spoken of, born not as a murderer, but born to be murdered. Incredible, isn't it? For a crime he didn't commit. For our things. And the gifts were likely used providentially to support their family and what comes next when they become refugees and flee to Egypt. So the Magi, they knew from their study that something epic of epic proportions was happening. The Lord provided a supernatural phenomenon that led them so how does that apply to us today? I don't know if you're in a season when you're looking for an epiphany, where you're looking to God to help you make sense of things. Maybe you're considering a change in career. Maybe you've had a sudden reversal in your finances or in the workplace. Maybe there's been a sudden loss in a relationship or a sudden loss of a loved one. Maybe you've just moved jobs. Maybe you've just moved house. Whatever it is. What does this have to tell us? You know, I went through a season where I was very much, uh, didn't know Jesus the way I know him now, but 20 years ago, and I was seeking an epiphany. I didn't use that language. All that I knew is that my father was the crown prosecutor, the district attorney, my mother was a federal court judge, and I didn't want to do law. I know there's at least one, in, maybe, in this congregation who's similar. Anything but. And I was running. And there was a journey involved. Now, that journey sometimes is physical, like with the Magi. Sometimes it's more of a, a developmental, emotional, um, psychological journey. And really, the journey for all of us is to take what we've learned in our minds and that it finds its way to our hearts. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. That's the journey we're all on. And what guides us in our journey are our questions. And so if you have questions, that's great. Sometimes those questions become doubts. Everyone doubts at some point. And it says we question and interrogate reality and ask the big questions of life and, and air our doubts that the Lord uses that 
to meet with us. And so the first point of application, really, as I close, is this. God spoke to the wise men in a way they understood. He met them where they were to lead them to his son. It was true for them in their time. It's true for us today. It's true for us this morning. God, the creator, seeks to meet us in a way that we can understand and appreciate so that we can be led to his son. Now, the guidance, second point is, the guidance that was given to the delegation of Magi wasn't vague. It was, oh, go lead a good life. Do good things. Be nice. No, it was very specific. They had to pay attention. What's more is, as we saw in verse 9, that the, the guidance was localized, it was specific, and it was targeted. It was true then, it's true today. The guidance God gives us is localized and specific in a way that we can receive it. And then thirdly, God's leading here isn't an individualistic experience. In fact, the only individual who's led by himself makes all of the wrong choices, and that's Herod. What we see here is that the guidance is done in context of community. It was a community, well, I don't know if they were a community by the end of it, of the trip, but a delegation that was led. God's leading had an objective and a subjective element to it. They were following evidence they discovered in the Old Testament, though they weren't Jewish. There was a subjective experience to it. There was a phenomenon they were following, and then when they got there, they had the subjective experience of rejoicing with exceedingly great joy as they followed their reached their destination thanks to a physical sign on their journey. Which begs the question, how does God guide today? Well, very similarly, except that Jesus is no longer two years of age. And he currently stands at the right hand of God in heaven. And we is, he has given us his word. And so that's a reason why we read the scriptures. Now I understand in the Bible Belt, we all have maybe different relationships with the scriptures. But if you approach the scriptures the way Jesus did, you discover very quickly that in and amongst it all, there's this incredible theme of it being written as a love letter to a people that he would call, him, call to himself as children who he would afford a position of favor where they would know him and see him. He leads us as we pray. He leads us through what often people have called a council of saints, advice and perspective from older believers. And one of my favorites, through common sense. Practical wisdom. God works through, the, through, through very practical ways. I remember one time, Rachel and I, we were just married. We couldn't sleep, and we began to pray. We began to fast, and, and we, uh, Rachel had a doctor's appointment. We went, and we said, look, we're just having trouble sleeping. We don't know what to do, and, which is rare in England. The doctor was a Christian, and he looked at us, and he kind of shook his head and said, sometimes God answers prayer in the most practical ways. Go buy a bigger bed. So we did. We went, and again, rooms weren't built this size. We bought a California king. And there was no room to stand in the room. There was just six foot by six foot mattress. And we slept. 
Common sense is one of the most incredible ways that God can lead us. And so, if you're looking for guidance today, may I make two recommendations as I close. After communion every Sunday, we have people at the back who offer prayer. They're called our prayer ministry team. They've been trained. They know what they're doing. They know how to pray. And they would count it as a real honor if you're navigating something where you would really value someone standing with you. They would count it as a real honor to pray with you and to bless you. The second thing is, over and over again, it's done in community. We were really never designed to study, well, it's good to study the word on your own, but it's also good to study the word in community. It's good to pray on your own, but it's, even, it's, it's also great to pray in community. In fact, there's such an emphasis on community in the New Testament that Jesus himself says that when two or three are gathered, he's right there. And so if you're a part of St. Barthes, you're wondering, well, how can I get plugged into community? I've got great news. On January 23rd, two weeks from today, we're going to have a, 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 I was going to call it a soiree, but it's going to happen in the day. It's not going to be a soiree, but it'll have the feel of a soiree, you know, a great evening. But during the day, after church, in fact, in the morning, so that's entirely unhelpful, we're, we're going to give you the practicalities of how you get involved in our midweek community groups, which we call Connect Groups. You'll be able to meet some of the leaders, and you'll be able to find out when and how they meet, and we'll, we will make all the practicalities clear. We worship a God who speaks. We worship a God who leads. He leads individuals, and he leads communities, and he leads families. The most incredible thing is that once they worship Jesus, they know, they get the, the sense of who Herod is, and they, um, they have a dream, and they leave another way, and they don't tell him. So Jer- Herod goes to more extreme measures, which if you were reading through the lectionary between Christmas and New Year, you would have read of the slaughter of the innocents, how he just wipes out the boys who were born in that time frame. Just, just what a monster. I had a dream over Christmas about a member of this congregation. I thought, oh, I better do what the Bible says. So I met with them, and I said, I had this dream. and I don't know if it was, <laughs> it was relevant, but I think the sum of it was that, you know, we're praying for each other, which is encouraging. But God speaks in this way, in a way that we will know his voice, and in a way that we will understand it's him. So, let me pray, and then we'll carry on with our service. Lord, thank you for this this truth that you are the God who guides, that you're the God who leads. Thank you, Jesus, that as we have um, read, and as we're about to do in baptism and then in Holy Communion, that you are a God who came to earth to take upon yourself the death that we deserve, that we might live. And so we pray your blessing even now on all of us, our families, those near and dear to us. And as we continue in worship, you would speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.